what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. I'm your host, Greg Bolden, here on the America Out Loud Network. We have reached the Friday recap show with Chris Michaels and myself, and we have a special guest for everybody here today as well, and I'm excited to bring that conversation to you. My dog is even barking in the background. She's excited about this conversation today. It is going to be a phenomenal time. We're going to have a blast with one another. Well, let's get straight to it. The headlines in the world right now, you've heard me talk about on the show. I'm very concerned about the Middle East and what that means for our geopolitical power. And when I say geopolitical power, I really mean the uh, oil, uh, talking about how we have worked with Saudi Arabia throughout this time, why we actually have this uh, alliance with uh, Israel for so many years what that means about the countries that we've been at war within Afghanistan, uh, the threats that we've made against Iran, uh, Iraq throughout the years uh, with uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and things. We are, I believe, on the uh, hotbed of conflict right now. And Joe Biden has just flown over to Israel this week and started to really mumble through his support of Israel and say, hey, you know, that rocket that hit this building, that's the wrong team. No, Joe, it's not called the wrong team. This is actually the people that are the bad guys called Hamas, if you're going to label somebody one or the other. So professionalism with this president has kind of gone out the window as well. So let's get straight into it. We have Chris Michaels coming onto the stage. What's going on, Chris? How you doing, my brother? Pretty good. What's going on? Oh, it's not too much, man. I've been uh, really, really busy with teaching and work and uh, at the same time consumed with all these headlines and trying to read through articles and remember what I've read on uh, politics worldwide throughout the years, especially the the world being flat, the new economical model, uh, thinking about Keynesian uh, economics, Austrian economics, and how this is all going to work into this war machine that seems to be ramping up at this point in time. What have you been up to this past week? Well, I've been just ousting out all of the creeps that hang out in the shadows, like that lobbyist group, No Labels. Mm. They are the ones that want a unity ticket, that are trying to push a Democrat and a Democrat running on a Republican ticket to be a third party uh, on the ballot as a third party throughout the United States, even though they claim to be not a party. So that's where you get RFK. That's where you get Bacon that's pushing back against McCarthy being nominated as speaker. So all of that. And as always, paying attention to what's going on in the Levant. I think there could be a lot of dangerous things especially when it comes to oil and energy. Well, uh, we have an, more of an expert than you and I on the show today. Uh, really? I was, yeah, I, I was following along uh, some articles uh, earlier this week where MarketWatch had said that there was a 70% chance really that we could have a major uh, military conflict. And if that happens, that the oil would be shut off from the Middle East, which immediately caused me to start going down the rabbit hole of, all right, Where's our reserves at at this point in time? And uh, I found a couple different numbers along the way, but everybody seems to be pretty much kidding me with the number of we have less than 30 days at this point in time in the United States. And part of that's because we stopped drilling here domestically, uh, according to what I've been reading. But I want to ask somebody who's worked in the oil fields much longer uh, than I've ever done it because I've done it for zero days. I want to get to understand this a little bit better. And, uh, you know our good friends Brian and Ed Krasenstein. Sure, I know. <laughs> I know them. <laughs> He's like, yeah, my good friends. Well, uh, in quotes, Bri- sure. <laughs> Brian put out a post uh, yeah. on Monday or Tuesday of this past week where he was bragging about how Joe Biden has returned the oil production here in the United States to levels that would embarrass Donald Trump. That so much more oil production, and then I see this post pop up by this gentleman by the name of Brian Fry. And Mm. Brian Fry has this masterful, masterful response to the Krasensteins. And when I say Krasensteins, I say plural, because if Brian posts something, it's all in unison with Ed. I mean, they're a team with what they do. And it gets absolutely crickets on the response back. Like, Brian doesn't respond. Now, if I posted the same thing, I guarantee Brian would have taken me up on it and started. Actually, Ed probably would have. Brian may not have. 
But I guarantee there would have been more response. And so I thought it was a shame that Brian didn't get more of a voice. So I was like, why not bring him onto the national show here on the America Out Loud Network, as well oh. as our live on all socials, so the rest of America can get to hear what he's talking about. Absolutely. But what was the post? Well, the post is right here. I'm going to uh, present up on the screen so people that are uh, watching can see it, and then we will read it as well. The post was, it's critically important for folks to understand the reality of U.S. energy security with the geopolitical chaos in the Middle East. Sounds just like what I was researching this week. I love it. Here is an easy-to-understand breakdown of the current U.S. oil situation. At our consumption rate, we have enough oil to last 17 days as a country if supply were completely stopped. The U.S. produces about 20.3 million of barrels per day. In contrast, the U.S. consumes about 20 million barrels per day. So America is producing roughly 300,000 barrels per day more than what we consume. So as it stands, according to the latest EIA inventory report, there are 351 million barrels of oil in the strategic petroleum reserves. This is down 300 million barrels from the 650 million barrels we had before Biden started selling it off. So the idea that we can quickly fill the SPR on our own is preposterous and can be dismissed right now. At a 300,000 barrel per day surplus, it would take roughly two years and nine months to refill SPR to normal levels. But that is also assuming demand stays the same. In the event of war, demand for oil inevitably goes up. Something most people don't know is that the oil refineries in the United States are mostly designed to process heavier crude oil. The oil we produce most of here in the U.S. is a light, sweet oil produced in the Permian Basin, known commonly as West Texas Intermediate, WTI. Most of this oil is actually exported to other countries. Because of this, we actually import roughly 8.3 million barrels of oil per day to meet our consumption demands. The kicker is that 12% of those imports, or roughly 1 million barrels per day of those imports, come from OPEC countries. So in the event of continued escalation and the unity of Arab countries over Gaza, we could be looking at serious energy security concerns. We're talking an immediate 12% in import supply and reduced export ability, among a myriad of other concerns. If you found this insightful, please share it so that we can stop the misinformation and make the reality of the serious issue known to more people. So this is the post, Chris. What do you think about those words? Woof. Boy, am I glad that Biden is... Summing up to the uh, to the Colombians. <laughs> uh, aren't you glad that, that we're in this mess with Biden? I mean, oh, all his years I, of experience. I can't think of a better leader. I mean, he was born in Israel, wasn't he? Well, he said so on the plane. I mean, <laughs> uh, this guy. I'll tell you. So let's get back to this oil situation. That yeah. Well, let's us. let's bring Brian on. We got the writer of the post with us. Let's get into it with them. I mean, why keep the audience waiting? All Let's right, go. Here, here we go. Brian Fry, welcome to America Emboldened. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Hey, thanks for having me on tonight. I'm excited to be on and really appreciate you uh, highlighting this for me. Uh, I believe that this is such a critical issue coming into next year's election cycle. And honestly, not enough people talk about the severity of the situation. And I don't mean to hate too dire of a picture or anything, but this is the reality. And, and misinformation, you know, like the Krasensteins or Brian specifically in this case put out is it's dangerous to what, you know, is good for America. So I appreciate you having this on, having me on and highlighting this issue. Absolutely. So first, you know, you're one of my bold American listeners. So thank you for supporting the show. Uh, and, uh, I didn't know that when I actually first reached out, I just really thought that your post was excellent. And so I was giving you props. And uh, so that was a bonus to this whole thing. This is the first time for my listening audience I that I know of, I've had an opportunity to interview a listener of the show as well. Uh, but you're coming with some experience in this field. And when I say some experience, I don't just mean a little experience. You worked for 15 years in Houston working in oil uh, rigs, correct? Yeah. So uh, I was in various, uh, I was in honestly all three sectors of the oil and gas industry. I worked in upstream for a number of years, downstream and midstream. So I've got kind of a unique perspective that not a lot of folks have on the big picture and how it plays in society. Uh, and I was actually a crude oil trader for a number of years as well. So I understand the market and financial side of uh, commodities as well. 
All right, let's get into some of the words that we're going to use today. Let's let's think about the average American, uh, what they know about the oil industry. I, I know little outside of what I've been reading about. So you're using upstream, downstream, midstream. I understand the economical models of upstream, downstream, and midstream. I also know where you know my crap flows, upstream, downstream, <laughs> midstream, and the government seems to work the same way. But when you refer to these three areas of oil production and uh, oil business, what exactly are you talking about? Can you define that? Sure. I'm glad you asked. And that's honestly the reason I wrote that post to begin with was so kind of to have an easy to understand breakdown for, for your average American. So uh, upstream simply means uh, exploration and production. So upstream companies are in the business of producing the oil. They're exploring. They're doing the geological surveys. They are finding the oil and they're extracting it from the ground. So that's upstream in a nutshell. Midstream companies, on the other hand, they are all in the transport area of oil and gas so they're the pipeline companies for gas they've got processing gathering facilities pump stations you know they all sorts of anything involved in the transport of the oil and gas is midstream and then downstream is the petroleum uh, refined product side you know the refineries and whatever is going to market to ultimately like the consumer Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. That That's actually very, very helpful. So that way, as I'm having this conversation with you tonight, I can maybe hit on the exploration, the production in this country, why we're not drilling, hit on how we do get this different type of petroleum. I know some people had challenged your numbers stating that uh, we do not produce 20 million barrels, but the, the fact of the matter is not all of it is the exact same refined oil that people are thinking about. It's barrels of total petroleum that you were referring to. Um, and I now understand the midstream side is the transport market, which is uh, us getting it to where it needs to be. So perfect. Excellent. That's, that's a great start to this conversation. All right, let's let's start here. In your 15 years, when was the most successful over those 15 years of the United States being more energy dependent in your career? Was it during any administration versus another um, or did that not matter? Was it just about market dynamics? Uh, so while it heavily does, you know, market dynamics plays probably the leading factor in, you know, especially global market dynamics because it's such a global market. Without a doubt, uh, it's it's not even questionable that in my career, the most successful time in oil and gas history in our country, especially as far as U.S. energy security goes, uh, not being dependent on foreign factors was without a doubt under the Trump administration. Uh, specifically the two years before COVID hit. I, I mean, an international pandemic hit, so there's not a whole lot that's going to help the oil and gas industry out when, you know, world demand goes through the tank. So, uh, but without a doubt, that was the most successful time in oil and gas history, not even just from a, a business profit standpoint, but from a U.S. security standpoint, meaning we're not reliant on any foreign entity to refine our, the, the consumption demand that we have in, in this country. Now, I've heard people talk about in the exploration and production, so we'll talk upstream. See, now I can speak the lingo. This is great, Chris. This is awesome. <laughs> like right. So in the, in the upstream, I've heard people say that the United States actually has plenty of oil underneath us, that we don't need the Middle East, we don't need any other countries, that in fact, that part of the security plan of many administrations has been to hold on to this oil to everybody else's out. So we're the last person standing and then we start to export it ourselves and control the market. Is, is that uh, true or um, am I oversimplifying things? So from a complete layman's perspective, if you don't know anything about what you're talking about and you look at it from a small sliver of the pie, sure, you can pass that off as logic. But that's not the whole picture. That's not the whole reality and the truth of how the energy industry works, uh, not only globally, but in our country. Um, we don't. So of that, like you touched on it in my, in my post that I put out to Brian Krasenstein, we don't refine and process all of the oil that we produce in this country. Uh, there's different grades and types of crude oil in the world from the West Coast to the East Coast to north versus south in this country alone there are so the, the kind of basis points on crude oil there's sweet and there's sour and then there's light and there's heavy so sulfur content makes it sweet versus sour density is light versus uh, heavy so in west texas in the permian basin which is the most prolific you know shale play in north america 
um, that, that is primarily, or it, it is West Texas Intermediate, WTI. So that is a lighter, sweet crude oil. Ironically, uh, our infrastructure in this country is, is primarily set up and to process uh, heavier crude oil. So we import a large amount of crude to keep up with our consumption demand, and we actually export uh, a large portion of the WTI that we produce. So there's a certain import-export dynamic that goes into that to meet the sour barrel grit, uh, physical demand that we have. Um, so it, it gets a little bit more complicated than that, but that kind of you know basically tells the, the big picture there. Okay, now I live alongside uh, a very large refinery, the Delaware City Refinery here, uh, right up the road from my home, literally. I mean, we had an explosion there and we had an environmental disaster just in my backyard. I had people testing my soil, uh, but they put out about 210,000 barrels per day. Uh, that's according to statistics of uh, when everything happened about 2021. I don't know if that's still the numbers or if that's dipped. Uh, but I, I guess I'm curious, how many of these type of plants putting out 210,000 barrels a day are there in the United States, according to your knowledge? Oh, there's dozens and dozens of refineries across the country. Uh, so some, I, I'm not sure the size or the specific one. I, I, don't, I don't know the specific numbers of your Delaware location, but for example, a lot of them here along the Gulf Coast, uh, well, there are millions of barrels a day output capacity and, and throughput capacity. So there's different sizes. There, like the one, there's one, like a few in California that are a little bit larger to, to uh, service the West Coast. You know, it's it's regionally dependent on kind of the size and the demand as far as how much their throughput capacity is on each refinery. But there's dozens of them. Uh, Dozens of them across the country. I don't. I don't know off the top of my head exactly. But. That's fine, but it sets up this kind of conversation about transport the midstream and then getting the petroleum to the market, because this is where we're going to get into the energy crisis, I believe, and where the real disaster could happen. That's a national security issue. So I know for the Delaware City Refinery, I see these huge trains coming in and out, which I'm assuming they come in with a product that needs to be refined. I could be wrong, so correct me on the process here. But then we have these incredibly large containers very close to the oil field as well. And after those uh, containers come in, or I'm guessing that's where the refined product is going, and then eventually that gets shipped out through these pipelines that we have running through Newcastle County here in Delaware. Um, is that is that basically kind of the the flow process? It comes in on trains, it gets refined, then gets stored, then piped out. Or do I have that backwards? Does it go out on trains? So it, it can happen that way. It can happen the opposite way. It can happen a number of ways. So from the wellhead, they're pumping it from the actual well that they're drilling. Right, that's step one. Then it goes up to the surface to the wellhead, and from there, it, there's there's a number of different strategies depending on how large of a producer you are. You know, are you a small mom and pop independent? Are you Exxon who just bought, you know, Pioneer Resources for $60 billion? You know, who, who are you? Is There's different strategies involved in that. So somebody that if you're drilling in West Texas, for example, you have a large pipeline network that's going to transport your crude oil straight from the wellhead to a hub to the refinery. So you don't even have to worry about trucking it or rail or however it's going to go. Now, alternatively, you could be in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma or Kansas, and you just happen to have a well. There's no pipeline infrastructure leading to your well site. So from the wellhead, you have it in a big tank on your well pad at the actual drill site. From there, you'll have to either truck it uh, to a rail to a rail yard to go long transport, or maybe you'll just truck it all the way to the refinery yourself. So there's different methods of how you actually get it to the refinery, uh, depending on a number of factors, you know, geography being heavily influential on that. Okay. So now let's but get into there, once it's to the refinery. You, you're often having from the refinery, it's more, you know, central locations. So you're now piping it back like natural gas. Typically you're going to pipe it back to the local regional hubs to where it gets distributed to, you know, your homes to, to heat your houses and stuff like that. Right. Crude oil, same thing. It, or it can be transported, truck, rail, ship. It, it really just depends on a number of factors, but you essentially have the process down correct. 
All right. So, you know, Chris and I are very concerned right now. We could be looking at war times in the Middle East. We could be seeing issues where maybe this is really about oil in a lot of ways. I, I brought that up on my show the other day with uh, what's going on just on the Western side in the water. Uh, by Gaza, we have a huge oil field. Um, if all of a sudden we have a freeze on the Middle East oil being imported into the United States, how does that hurt? the United States in regards to being able to refine oil at all, or uh, being able to uh, stay balanced in production of military weapons, the fight a war while at the same time, continuing to put uh, and stock our shelves with things that we need that are petroleum products. Uh, how quickly would some of that start to fall apart? That is a great question and the question of all questions and the entire point why this is a critical issue. Um, so people need to understand that 12% of the oil we import right now to this day, to this very second, comes from OPEC countries. So as it stands in the Middle East, uh, if, if we're looking at further escalation, and I think personally the key player in this is Iran. Once Iran gets involved in the dominoes fall as far as Saudi and Iran, they're all going to back each other. Uh, Iran and Saudi are two of the top five producing OPEC countries. Uh, you're, so we're talking further escalation is likely going to lead into some kind of direct embargo to the United States. Uh, Saudi Arabia has already done the embargo to Israel. So I think that it, realistically, you're looking at a complete cutoff of supply to the United States from OPEC countries. So that means a complete 12% drop in import capacity right away. So sacrifices will have to be made one way or the other, or we tip into the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which let's not forget, it's a whole 17 days of supply we've got now, thanks yeah. to these wonderful policies. So you're looking at an immediate 12% supply drop. And one thing, uh, since we were just talking about the importance of the midstream companies and the infrastructure, this could all have been avoided with the Keystone Pipeline, too. The Keystone Pipeline was going to connect directly to the Canadian heavy sands, which is what we process the most of in this country, the heavier uh, Canadian oil. And so uh, actually on that note, today, I don't know if you guys saw that they lifted the sanctions against uh, Venezuela. Uh, Biden lifted six-month moratorium against Venezuela, you know, because why wouldn't we uh, cave to another tyrant in the world? Anyway, uh, so we're allowing them to uh, supply us because we need sour barrels to fill our capacity or to fill our consumption demand. Hmm. Well, the, the uh, Venezuela's most of their, what do they produce? 700,000 barrels a day. Most of that goes to China. So we're looking at a couple hundred thousand barrels a day added capacity or added supply to our, our demand in the United States. For that same 200,000 barrels a day, we could have just accepted the Keystone Pipeline and had 10 times the amount of oil coming in and we wouldn't have to make deals with, you know, tyrants and dictators across the globe. So that's yet another failed policy on energy in this administration. Well, Brian, I'm going to bring Chris into this conversation because there's something that I want to point out to Chris, and then I want to frame some questions to you based upon this. This is going to get scary. So if you're not aware, uh, Chris, Vladimir Putin met with uh, President Z, and they've already put a policy in starting today. I'm not sure if you saw the news, but I'll try to find that during the break and bring that up on the second half here. But they put a policy in that they're going to try to squeeze the dollar with the yuan using oil. Now, Chris, do you remember what happened between OPEC and BRICS and the agreement that's coming out January 1st, 2024, and why I'm maybe a little bit nervous? Do you remember covering any of that on your show or talking to me about it? No. What was it? Well, three of the six major oil-producing countries are members of BRICS. Now, you remember BRICS, the 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 big organization that Mario Narfall and all of his right. uh, you know, groupies were laughing at me when I was telling them what a danger that was to world order and our security. Well, yeah, those six oil uh, producing uh, companies, the three of them are Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the UAE. And there are major members of OPEC. Um, Nigeria is actually also an OPEC member, but they're not part of BRICS yet, but they've talked about it. So when I look at this conflict that's going on in the Middle East, Chris, 
Am I wrong to hear what Brian's telling me about how dire the situation could get if we do not shore up our own oil production? We don't have a president that goes, we need to start drilling. We need to start fracking the hell with the environment right now and the people that say it's bad for us. Because if we don't have that, then our national security is at risk, our dollars at risk against bricks, and we could be looking at a real S show come 2024. I would almost say that Brian, like, I don't think we have to wait until another election cycle. This needs to be addressed within the next several weeks. And this needs to be one of the key issues we're calling our Congress representatives about and our senators about. Chris, what's your thoughts on what you're hearing from Brian and this whole conversation? I'm hearing that never let a crisis go to waste. How many times have we spoken about 15-minute cities and people getting into electronic vehicles and all of that. Well, if you are running into a fuel crisis, then what's the best thing to do? Ration everybody. And how do you do that? Get them all into electric vehicles. That way they don't have to technically run on fuel, despite the charging stations and all the power plants and the grid that they have to fuel that with. But you have people that would then be restricted and then you wouldn't have COVID lockdowns anymore. You'd have fuel lockdowns so that you'd only be able to go a certain distance from your house, depending upon what currency, central bank, central banking digital currency you've got. So my question that I had, uh, you know, percolating over here was, what do you see going on in your industry about this massive push for electronic vehicles? What do you think is behind that? And are they kind of incorporating your industry into this push for everybody to be in an electric vehicle? That, that's a great question. I'm actually very glad you asked that, Chris. Um, so from the, the insider industry perspective, uh, if I'm going to be honest, we're kind of just laughing at them right now. Um, everybody in the oil field understands the realistic demand dynamics. Where do these people think electricity comes from? How much right. do they think fossil fuels generates electricity? Uh, what, what kind of just insane ignorance do you have to have to think that this is even realistic? So I'd say most most oil and gas companies, especially the C-level executives, are not sweating electric mandates for now. They're heavily subsidized. I mean, the only reason they make any kind of financial sense right now is because it's, it's going on tax credit and subsidies. It's not sustainable realistic future um and as far as the industry goes you hear a lot of companies you know this is kind of like an inside joke from more of the independence and oil field service guys uh, you see chevrons and shells and all the majors coming out with all these green commercials and you know carbon capture and they're playing nice they're just running these big marketing campaigns but at the end of the day they're not doing any of this carbon capture stuff if they didn't get massive tax credits for it. Of course. They don't. I mean, this is just an absolute, it's it's a literal trillion dollar scam. The entire carbon footprint initiative, uh, all this, it's added infrastructure, it's added uh, payoffs, it's added fees, it's added, you know, all this stuff that the politicians stand to make from it. So as far as the electric mandates, it's not gonna, it's not a realistic possibility. We don't, like you said, we don't have the charging infrastructure. We don't have the electrical grid uh, ERCOT in Texas is already overstrained as it is based on the wind and solar mandates. Right. Yeah, you, you want to throw an extra, you know, two million, three million people on the road in electric vehicles? Well, like it's just not a sustainable future. And I read an article today that said if they really were serious, they being the Biden administration and the World Economic Forum types, about implementing this kind of smart grid across the country that would incorporate electric vehicles, they would literally have to rebuild the whole grid. Yeah. So what's the cost of that? I mean, <laughs> this isn't serious. Exactly, That's exa you couldn't have said it better. This isn't serious. I mean, you'd have to redo entire trillion dollars of infrastructure or build trillions of dollars of infrastructure to support these mandates. I mean, how much money are you gonna spend to say, you're going to sp spend a dollar to save a nickel. You know, that's that's how it's going to go. Yeah, it seems utterly ridiculous. So I guess one more question I had uh, before Greg, he's chomping at the bit. 
I see it. I see the glint in his eye. Well, I, I saw you writing all these notes while Brian was talking. I saw you moving the pencil. I so I was like, you know, I know you do. And I was like, <laughs> I, I felt bad, but I, I wanted to get the, the basic questions out. So you continue on, Chris. You're doing great. So oh, thank you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> so if let's just assume, let's play devil's advocate with our doom and gloom scenarios, because that's what everybody that pays attention to current events likes to do. Let's say that OPEC snubs its nose at the United States and says, you've got to do what you do and we're not going to help you. Uh, what, how would the United States recover from that? And what would the best possible scenario be to get this country back to its independence that Trump gave it to, gave us? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, the biggest thing that's hurt our production ability is the offshore drilling program. Uh, offshore is so much easier, faster to drill. It's a lot more reserves, a lot more production throughput per day. So uh, they've completely choked out the offshore drilling program. That's that's a key step to get it going. Um, as far as what, what was your first question before that? I'm sorry. Uh, it, it was in a worst case scenario. How would the United States recover? If right. Right. So if and I actually just put out a piece about this like a week and a half ago when the Gaza situation started, uh, it it would be a very worst case situation because realistically, we would try to uh, find our supply from, you know, alternative sources like Canada or a, a European country, maybe Norway or somewhere, somewhere off the coast of somewhere, maybe Ghana. We could get some oil from that's a little bit heavier. Uh, we would try to source it that way. But that's not necessarily a realistic possibility, and it, it might not be instant because it takes a lot of time for a super tanker to float across the ocean to get sure. there. You know? So uh, worst case scenario, we could realistically be, and again, a lot of things have to go wrong. I don't want to sound like a crazy person, but <laughs> we could be looking at a 1970s uh, oil embargo situation. I mean, we're talking, you know, odd number license plate fills up one day, even the next day. Uh, I mean, heck, in England, they did three-day work weeks for a number of times in the 70s and the oil embargo. You know, there, there's all sorts of, yeah, from the 70s oil embargo, we got speed limits. We didn't have speed limits before. You know, we went from gas guzzlers to to a whole different type of vehicle. So we're talking an, an absolute disruption in way of life uh, as far as people don't understand how many products are actually made with oil. You know, you're not talking just gasoline or diesel or propane or whatever it is you're, you know, combusting. We're also talking about plastics. Uh, you're talking about, you know, aspirin is made with oil and gas. Uh, you're, you're talking about uh, a rise of pricing because of shortage of supply. And so you're talking about an entire disruption to the American way of life. I'm telling you, this is the biggest story that no one is talking about in the mainstream media right now. Uh, th this is the largest crime against Americans with this administration has done the Keystone pipeline, the stopping of drilling in areas. And I understand, like I get the whole fracking earthquakes. I've watched that. I've studied that. I get the whole fracking even. And then we got to be careful about uh, water levels possibly uh, as far as any type of contamination, but I refuse to believe that we can't do it safely. I refuse to believe that these processes that are available there, that we're not listening to Greenpeace people and the Green Party Jack Rabbits. Some try not to curse. Jack uh, Rabbits. Yeah, no, I know. I've never heard somebody. <laughs> fine. I guess. You work I can on say, your insults, pal. No, I can say jackasses. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. <laughs> I'll go there. I was, I was, I was, I was debating on whether or not I was going to get dinged for cursing on uh, Apple uh, for jackass, but I'm going to use it because a well, jackass is a real thing. Okay. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. No, it's not like when I'm on your show, Chris. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but no, these, these jackasses that, that think about the environment in this way that aren't thinking about national security, you know, when you have no way to heat your home two years from now, if there's a, a world war three that's going on because we are not energy secure with oil, maybe people then will wake up and go, woof. Why did we elect that guy? You know, we were really worried about Donald Trump all this time and him insulting people and maybe enriching his family a little bit. But you know what? If Donald Trump enriched his family and did some illegal stuff, but yet my family was safe and secure, 
and my family could pay our bills and we could not have the inflation. I'm sorry. That doesn't make him uh, so bad in hindsight. I, and it, I think that people are going to have buyer's remorse on Joe Biden. Should this go in? We need to take a quick break here. Uh, we're, we're up against the break. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue the conversation with Brian. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this situation. Then we're also going to get into some of the topics from this week, because that's what we do on Fridays. We recap the weekend and we, we talk that stuff. Listen, if you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to support everything here, make sure that you're going over to americaoutloud.store where there's plenty of sponsors that help keep the lights on at the network. The network and always your, your support there brings you the 24-7 America Out Loud talk radio network and podcast like mine. If you'd like to support my show, you can buy me a coffee. Just go buymeacoffee.com backslash bold America. I promise you, I'm not getting rich off of this. I do this because I love bringing information to people. I love speaking to people and trying to get the stories out there that are not already in the news cycle. So if you think that this was helpful, feel free to uh, go there and donate to the show. It helps support what I do. Uh, so I appreciate that. We'll be right back after the break, everybody. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden, my special guest, Chris Michaels, and Brian Fry tonight here on the show. We'll be right back in just a few moments. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. America Out Loud News. Delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back, Bold Americans. Second half of the show here. We're having a, a conversation that's really should be in every single living room right now. You should be hearing about how what's going on with Israel and Hamas, what's the in, in inflammation with Iran, and what's going on with the BRICS countries that are involved in the oil industry, how that could affect your future, that could affect your well-being, your security. And when we go to war, we got to manufacture weapons. Hmm. What do you think weapons take in order to work? Well, let me go back to my esteemed panel here right now to talk about this. All right, Brian, how much oil is in the weapons industry? <laughs> More than you can account for. More than anybody can account for on that note. <laughs> it's people, it's, it's probably, uh, they can't wrap their minds around this. They probably have no yes. idea. So if we go to the war, and all of a sudden, our aircraft carriers are using missiles and we're expending all of these resources. We have to replenish those resources. Does that pull away oil production from us domestically in order to fight overseas? Absolutely. In the time of war, uh, globally, 
the demand for oil inevitably goes up. Not only do you have to manufacture supplies for war, you have to manufacture more food, you have to manufacture more packaging, you have to manufacture, uh, you know, supplies of all kinds, not only for soldiers, but for the support staff that support soldiers. You have more transport, you, you know, all the military vehicles use consume petroleum products. So in, inevitably demand goes up. Yeah. Yeah, life's not just going to stop here in the United States and we're not going to go, oh, soldiers, go live your best life over there and go win us a war. While meanwhile, we stop driving and stop using the oil and stop using the gasoline and all the petroleum. So that's important for people to to think about. Now, I also know that you're paying attention to the financial markets. I understand that uh, you're writing a book and I don't know how much you're allowed to share about that at this point in time. So I won't say any more outside of what you're comfortable with, but uh I understand that you're pretty wise in the financial sectors in investing uh, in oil. When I'm doing a show on Monday and I'm talking about uh, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, and all these big defense companies with their oil price, not oil prices, their stock prices going up and up. I'm curious. I have not stared at the oil reserves, but I do know that the cost per barrel went up about $4 earlier this week. Uh, Are we seeing the exact same things that I'm talking about in the defense industry with the markets, with the oil industry? So that's actually a great question. And we're, I'm glad you asked because we're in a very kind of unique situation in the global oil markets right now. Uh, Commodity pricing, it, it is very much disconnected with equities in the energy sector as well, meaning stock prices are kind of lagging behind the rise in oil prices. Typically, you're going to see more of a direct correlation in the rise of crude and especially upstream companies, the, uh, the actual producers of oil. Those are always kind of the most you know directly affected as well as refinery heavy companies. But there's a little bit of a disconnect now. And, and I think you're going to see a lot more of the equities, the stock prices actually kind of rise up to meet that demand or to the, uh, the the rise in oil pricing. But I think a lot of it is that the market isn't really sure what to do right now because of all the geopolitics. You know, it's, it's a very chaotic situation and oil shouldn't really be this high. It's, it's partially propped up because of OPEC. You know, the Saudi uh, extended cuts for so long The market's never seen Saudi and OPEC cooperation in this grand of a scale as far as the production cuts. So that's a large part of why we're seeing the situation we're in right now is to begin with is because Biden released and sold all that oil out of the SBR to inflate or to combat inflating prices during the last election cycle. So he, he, let's be honest, he sold the oil to buy votes at the time and now we're all paying the price for it because saudi's done extended cuts to artificially inflate the price right back up so we're in kind of a unique dynamic as far as that goes right now why is gas going down right now like right now i just filled up my tank for 299 which seems like a bargain compared to where it's been um is this artificially being held down to give a fog of war so people aren't paying attention. And are we seeing that that might be why those commodities aren't aligning with the market, that right now things are being manipulated to the public? Gas has gone up, by the way, where I am. It is. Okay. It's not here in Delaware. Uh-uh. Gas has gone up uh, across the nation, uh, generally speaking. I, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but okay. I did see an article earlier today about national averages are up like 30-something cents or something like that. Um, yeah, it's it's... The, it's the government manipulation of data. Let's, you mentioned it, so we got to talk about it real quick. Oh, my goodness gracious. We are taking a play straight out of China's playbook, guys. Biden is taking a play uh, straight out of the Chinese playbook who has manipulated the value of their currency, their economic data, their jobs reports for decades. Every jobs report that comes out from this administration for months now gets amended months later. Every freaking piece of economic data that comes out gets amended months later on the back end, and it's falsely propping up markets in so many different sectors. It's it's a dangerous bubble. It really is. Hmm. Chris, uh, so you're seeing gas prices go up. I'm seeing them stay the same. Earlier, uh, Brian mentioned that we've eased the sanctions on Venezuela, which could be the reason why here in Delaware I'm seeing the prices stay. 
which uh, I messed up because in the beginning I said Colombia. Okay. I was thinking of Venezuela and Maduro. That's all right. You're allowed to make a mistake. <laughs> I, I, I make about one a year, but uh, you're, you're allowed to make one. <laughs> I make them every day. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, so maybe that's that's the reason why this is happening. But Chris, wh what's your thoughts on the fact that we have Biden playing these games? We already have a press secretary that lies out her, her rear end every single day. Um, but isn't this kind of dangerous if we're in the middle of uh, the fog of war? And I, I was talking about the, yeah, the war dogs, the war hawk, hawks, the war mongers, the war whores, and everybody else right now. Um, where are we headed? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. You, it's headed towards war, right? You, you don't go to war with all the information presented to everybody in a fair and honest way. You go there to create discord and to hide up what's really going on. I mean, he's absolutely correct about the jobs reports. Every time they come out, it just allows the market and Goldman Sachs and whatever else to do whatever they want to do and inflate their bottom line. But I always say, wait for the revision. Then you'll really see the jobs numbers. There's a massive one that came out this week that basically demolished everything that Biden supposedly did over the past three years. So, I mean, it's all a farce. Like, when do we actually get to the truth behind all of these numbers, when do we actually start talking about becoming independent as far as our energy is concerned? Um, and this is a little sidebar, but Brian, do you have any idea of the impact of the oil that's being taken from Syria? Is this really that much of a big deal? And why is anybody over there? And by the way, I'm going to use some vocabulary. Uh, who was the uh, partners in the upstream portion of that little escapade over in Syria. So who's finding it and extracting it and drilling it and transporting it, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know who the corporate <laughs> company is for sure, but but you know, you're, you're, that's a big question to be asked right there. You're right, you're right. Like, why are we risking a third world war by going into Syria, drilling the oil over there, not drilling it, but just taking it. And that's what, 80 to 90% of Syria's oil is in that area that the United States took over. I don't ever remember yep. saying that we need to go into Syria. And then all of a sudden, poof, troops are there. <laughs> Why? The, is this really the further insanity, uh, there, there is a decent amount of oil over there. Uh, it it okay. can help mitigate for the, the oil that he sold off from the SBR, to be honest with you. But the real travesty here is what in the world are we doing risking getting Iran and Saudi and everybody aligned together against us? I mean, why, why risk Syria? Because Syria and Iran are very close allies. I think they're pretty well known as like the uh, Syria is Iran's closest ally. So what in the world are we doing? Why are we playing with fire? To your point, it, it doesn't make the least bit of sense. No, the amount of reserves over there are not worth it when we could just relax our own regulation in our offshore Gulf of Mexico that has billions of barrels of reserve. It doesn't make any sense. But what they're doing is trying to have their cake and eat it too with the climate change agenda. They're trying to make everybody happy and buy as many votes as they can right now so they can make the climate change agenda happy while stealing the oil over there, essentially probably getting it in way worse ways than you would ever get it by drilling right here. You know, it's, well, well, gentlemen, we're, we're in a, a bit of a pickle here right now, because if the Democrats are the party of climate change and telling us that we got to have our 15 minute cities and follow WEF agenda, while the Republicans right now are without leadership, the Republicans right now cannot even get a vote together in order to give us a Speaker of the House. As Jim Jordan declined to have a vote and toss his support behind McHenry on uh, Thursday, it's an embarrassing look for the Republican Party. And it tells me that there's no unification of Republicans anymore, which means there's likely no common ground in the Republican Party where people can say, this is what we stand for. This is what we're going to do moving forward. So in the absence, as I often say, in the vacuum of having a good plan, people assume power in horrible ways. And then today we had some shocking headlines. I'm sorry, yesterday we had some shocking headlines about Sidney Powell, about Peter Thiel, 
And I can't help but think that the only strong candidate that the Republicans have at this point in time is to march Donald Trump back out there. And yet Donald Trump seems like he is in a warfare at this point in time against the people that were said to have his back. And I, I am really curious about what's going to happen specifically with Peter Thiel. Now, for my listeners that when I say the word Peter Thiel, you're going, I need a, a primer, Greg. I don't understand who this guy is. Let me give you a quick primer. Here's the, the big things that you need to know, and this might kick, get this uh, live kicked off X tonight, but I'm saying it anyway. Peter Thiel is the founder of PayPal with none other than everybody's ex-favorite, Elon Musk. He is a billionaire who's also tied to all the COVID data collection of the last three years through his company. I think it's called Palantir. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe that's the name of it. Well, he was one of the largest MAGA supporters. He was donating millions upon millions to Donald Trump. He had FaceTime with him, photo ops with him, helped advise him. We find out today, or I'm sorry, yesterday morning, that <laughs> Peter Thiel was the entire time working as an FBI informant against Donald Trump, that he was gathering intelligence, which means he was a weaponized FBI agent against, not he's not an official agent, but he's a weaponized FBI informant against Donald Trump. So for the left, all these years that they've been saying, oh, the FBI is not weaponized against this uh, president. You guys, you're full of hogwash. Well, now we have the smoking gun, even though people that read the Mueller report should have already had the smoking gun. We now have it. Yes, the FBI that was supposed to be working for the Trump administration was busy sabotaging the Trump administration in the background the entire time. This is perhaps one of the most shocking revelations that I've heard the entire year. If, if you think that the stories can't continue to get crazier, here we are in the midst of uh, Joe Biden shoving down bad, failed policies over and over again, uh, war, where everybody is worried about World War III under Donald Trump. Well, now we're at the brink of World War III with Joe Biden needing to figure things out. And yet we're still finding out that, hey, you know what? They installed Joe Biden, basically. Why do I say that? Because if you're using an informant in the background, I'm starting to think there's a lot more too. We did not have a fair election. And Chris, you know, by listening to my show, I don't say that too often. I'm normally mm -hmm. kind of a more skeptic on all of that, but, uh, yeah, th yeah that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Says all that, <laughs> but I'm seeing that the, the deck is definitely stacked against this guy. So what is your gentleman's reaction to hearing the news? Now, Sydney Powell has pled guilty to these misdemeanors. The Trump, everybody's like, Oh yeah, these are felony offense. No, they're misdemeanors, but she's flipping on people. And we have Peter Thiel weaponized against Trump. What, what are you guys thinking? Brian, you're the guest. You go first. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> first of all, the fact that Sidney Powell, what she had to pay $5,000 and write an apology letter. Right. Is that an apology letter? Are you kidding me? Uh, that's the, what in the world. We're, so we're witnessing open political persecution of government opponents in, in America in 2023. Let that sink in for a second. We are witnessing political per persecution in the United States of America. It's absolutely absurd. Uh, the, I mean, I don't think you can question it after you find out Peter Thiel is a full-on FBI informant, signed a, signed a confidentiality agreement with the FBI, took the uh, protection. I mean, it's insanity. It, it's, it, it's absolute insanity. I'll keep mine brief because we're at that time. We're playing beat the clock. So, Go ahead. Uh, Peter Thiel, I'm not surprised he's an FBI informant. I am surprised he went against Trump, but then again, there's a little part of me that's not surprised that he did that, because how would you get into Trump's circle if you're going to stab him in the back? You'd have to act like his friend. You'd act like a fundraiser and all that. And people at that level, at Mr. Thiel's level, why wouldn't they be working with the NSA or the CIA or the FBI or any one of those organizations, the DOJ? At that level, they've got a lot of information, they've got a lot of access, and they've got a, a huge circle of contacts that the government would probably want access to. And the other interesting thing is that Mr. Thiel is also responsible for creating open AI, and we all know the bias with that. So are we that shocked by all of this? No, not really. Mr. Mr. <laughs> Miss Sidney Fowl, um, 
<laughs> she's also been tied to a lot of weird things too, particularly with the 2020 recounts and shuffling money around across state lines uh, to all of these districts and auditors that supposedly audited all these ballots, but then those audits never came out. So to me, that sounds like a grift. And there's a lot of that, including some grifting going on with the pillow man. Uh, if they had all these data, if they had all this data and they did all these audits, release it, unless you're talking about a 2024 release, which could be interesting. But I'm not surprised by any of this. I guess, you know, as somebody who uh, Trump doesn't get a ton of love on my show, like I, that's not my yeah, I hate both sides. So like you warned me, you told me I'm going to beat him up. I'm going to beat him up today. <laughs> I, I was up until the headlines of the other part, but and you felt bad. <laughs> it's not that I feel bad. It's it's, I didn't think anything was going to change what I saw that he had put out until the Peter Thiel, Sidney Powell. So Brian, what, what Chris is saying is earlier today, when I was prepping for the show, I said to Chris, I was like, be ready. I am going to completely destroy Donald Trump on tonight's show. And the reason why I stated this is because if you did not see Donald Trump put out his plan to keep jihadists and their sympathizers out of America. And I started seeing people that follow my show start to retweet this being like, hey, this is the, 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 this is the ticket. This is what everybody needs to be on. And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. You better actually read the text to this. I'm going to end the show by calling Donald Trump my, he's going to be the loser of the week for me, Chris. And here's why. Here's okay. why. All right. So when you put out a plan like this, uh, let me find it real quick. I have it here to do, do, do the last call podcast. There it is. I shared this image with you earlier. Trump's plan. He wants to reinstate and expand Trump travel ban on entry from terror played countries, territories, and places. Okay. I have no problem with, with point number one, right? If anything, we should be securing our border right now to begin with. That, that this is all perfectly fine. Re-implement a full suspension of State Department refugee resettlement. Perfect. I have no problem with this. Implement strong ideological screening for all immigrants to the United States. Sympathy for jihadist Hamas. Hamas ideology will be automatically disqualifying. Now Donald Trump has stepped into it. Here's why. How do you determine what is the ideological screening for immigrants family members that are trying to get here. Where can you do this without being the authoritarian that everybody or the fascist that the left has said that you are? You're confirming that you could have a fascist policy in this, but it gets worse. Aggressively deport resident aliens with jihadist sympathies. Chris, are they going to, to, to send me out of the country since I said that we should be working on peace? Between Gaza and Palestine and Israel, we should be finding diplomacy within all this while destroying Hamas. Is that uh, some type of sympathy for jihad? Because I don't believe it is. I think uh, it's you know peace, peaceful take. But I'm reading this plan, and I got to wrap up because we're running out of time. Yes. But as I'm reading this plan, all I can think of is this is the Patriot Act on crack. This is destruction of your personal liberties, your personal freedoms, and Donald Trump should be embarrassed to put this piece of crap document out there that's getting his supporters to go, this is the best thing ever. No, remember, those that are willing to give up a little bit of their liberties for security deserve neither. And that's how I'm ending my show today. Chris, what's your final thoughts? My thoughts is, well, might as well bring back the Schutzstaffel and the Gestapo. Just... End this party right now if you're going to start talking about ideological screening. I mean, what's that about? You can, you can have anybody skew your answers to fit a narrative. So this is dystopian, you know, beyond all means. And especially if they start screening your social media and your messages within social media, your private messages, and God knows what Verizon or AT&T is giving to the government thanks to the Patriot Act. I mean, your goose is cooked if they don't like you. Yeah. So this is extremely disturbing unless he comes up with some kind of safeguard if he gets elected yeah. in there. How are you going to do that? Get Tom Ridge, see if he's out of retirement? Woof. No. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, we got to wrap up. Brian, it is an absolute pleasure to bring you onto the show. And this is one of those things that I want to point out to people too. You know, Brian is uh, an expert really in the oil and market industry and everything. He's only got, uh, at this point in time, like 1600 followers on Twitter. And you just educated listeners 
better than anybody is going to see it on the mainstream media at any point in time over the next several weeks. I'm positive unless the story starts picking up some legs. And I, I always feel honored uh, to, to meet people like you. And that's the reason why I call people bold Americans. You're the people that kind of are out there that people may not know about, uh, but you have the information that we need to know. So I appreciate you making time for my audience this Friday night. Uh, and you are part of that audience too. So making time for you uh, to listen. Uh, but if you guys want to follow uh, Brian, you can follow at B Fry, F R Y E, and then the number 21. So B Fry 21 at B Fry 21. You can give him a follow as well. And then, Brian, when you get your book done, uh, we'll do a, a follow up interview where we can promote your book and talk about it. That would be awesome. I would absolutely love that. I would absolutely love that. I really appreciate you having me on. This is a critical issue for everybody in the country. So thank you for helping me bring light to it. Now we're glad to do so. All right, everybody. We hope that we honored your time well here on the show. As always, it has been an absolute pleasure to bring this topic to you. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with more episodes on the America Out Loud Network as well as on all the social media networks. Uh, until then, I hope that you guys all have a safe and prosperous weekend. I hope you have a fun one and you stall, you know, just really enjoy your time with family and friends. That's all everybody. We'll be back on Monday. You've been listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels and our special guest, Brian Fry here on the America out loud network. Be bold America. <laughs>